They are our 11 warriors. Yes, they are the 11 warriors. The most disciplined and the toughest damn dudes you're ever going to be around. Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom on National Signing Day, the first day of February. But it really doesn't feel like National Signing Day for us because, barring any surprises, Ohio State is not expected to actually sign anybody today. Ohio State wrapped up its, at least its high school recruiting class of 2023 back in December, signing. 20 players back then. Ohio State still still trying to add more talent through the transfer portal, but in terms of high school recruiting, this this class was basically wrapped up in December. Yeah, Dan, you know, it's the fifth ranked class, you know, as of, you know, 2020 total signees, and we've talked about it before, now one five-star, 18, four stars, one three-star, 11 on campus right now as early enrollees. Dan, has, has, have your thoughts on this class changed at all, you know, since the early signing period began? Because, you know, kind of the, the discourse about it was, you know, it is a, another nationally elite class in terms of that top five status, but perhaps lacking that super top end talent in terms of, you know, Ohio State didn't bring in a whole laundry list of five stars and, and you know, who are the, the the huge stars in the class? Is it missing some star power? Have your, your thoughts changed at all since then? Because, you know, that was also kind of on the heels of, you know, other criticisms in the program, which I feel like kind of dovetailed with people's views on that class as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is still a class, but just in terms of that real high-end star power, at least in terms of what the rankings will tell you, I don't think there's quite as much of that as we've seen from some other Ohio State classes in recent years. I mean, just looking at the final composite rankings, Brandon Innes ranked 35th. Uh, he He's the highest ranked player in the class. Now, you know, as we've talked about before, as you guys know, I'm very high on Brandon Innes. I think Brandon Innes is going to be a, a superstar receiver. But he's the only guy who has that five-star status. And so I think, you know, just compared to what expectations are for Ohio state, I, I, I think it's, it's fair to say that this class is a little bit underwhelming, but I also think there's a lot of, you know, really good players in this class. I think there's a lot of players who have the potential to be really good players in this class. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. You see some of these final ranking updates that come in like one position that I think looks stronger now than it probably did in December is cornerback because you look at the rankings now, Jermaine Matthews, who I think was ranked somewhere in the three hundreds when he committed to Ohio State, he's now ranked as the number fifty-one overall prospect in the class. He's actually the second highest ranked prospect in Ohio State's class now, behind Brandon Innes, and then Calvin Simpson Hunt right behind him as the number sixty-two overall prospect in the class. So you think about a position like corner, where we know. Ohio State's got some competition. We were just talking about they could still try to add a transfer at that position. So they clearly need some reinforcements there. You've got two guys who are highly ranked enough at that cornerback position where I think it's realistic to think they could come in and compete for playing time right right away. I'm not saying that I think they're going to be immediate starters, but I think they have that capability of coming in and, and competing for immediate playing time. And I think, you know, even you go further down the class, I mean, you know, you have guys like, you know, Malik Hartford, who's ranked outside the top 150, but I think he could be a really good safety for Ohio State in the future. I mean, Lincoln Keenholz is a guy, he's only ranked 189th, but 
just based on what I've seen from him, I think he has the potential to be a really good quarterback for Ohio State in the future. You know, obviously he's going to have to compete for that job, whatever that time comes. But I think he's a guy who has the potential to end up being a really good quarterback, despite the fact that he's maybe not ranked as highly as some of the quarterbacks that Ohio State has brought in in recent years. And I think the the good thing about this class is yeah, I think you look across the board and it's it's all quality. You know, there's not there's nobody in the class that you look at and go, man, they they really reached for that guy or they really had to settle for that guy. I mean, everybody in the class is ranked among the top 500 prospects in the class. And so I think you feel good about every player in the class is there for a reason. They didn't reach just to fill needs like they could have brought in a lower ranked running back just to bring one in. But I think they looked at it and said, well, we have five returning running backs next year who are all real candidates to play. We don't need to force it with bringing in a running back. We can go get two next year. So I, I think they were smart with this class of, you know, it's not the largest class. It's only 20 players. But I think some of that was by design to where, you know, obviously, like they would have liked to sign another corner. That's why they're looking in the transfer portal right now. They would have liked to sign a running back. But I you know, they, they would have liked to sign certainly another top defensive end because they were in a mix for three really highly ranked guys that they didn't get. And so there there were certainly some notable misses in this class. I don't want to gloss that over, but they what they didn't do was they didn't they didn't just go and chase lower ranked guys just to fill those spots. I think they were content to say, okay, if if the guys aren't there at those positions to to replace those other guys we wanted we're not going to just settle for another guy. In some cases, they're going to go to the transfer portal and they're going to try to get a guy from the portal who may be able to help them more immediately than, than a recruit. So I think I think that's one thing we've seen with Ohio State in this class is they're a little bit, a little bit more balanced in terms of if the guys aren't there that we want at the high school level, we know that they're going to prioritize high school recruiting. And I don't think that has changed in any way, but where I think maybe has changed a little bit is there may, they may be a little bit more selective in terms of, you know, that, that three-star project kind of guy that maybe they'd have taken in the past. Maybe instead of taking that guy, maybe now they look for a guy in the transfer portal. I think that's where you could see things change a little bit going forward. And it'll be interesting to see, how that kind of plays out as Ohio State now fully turns the page to the 2024 class. Yeah, Dan, I think the after the defensive results towards the end of the season this year, I think people would have felt a lot better in terms of Ohio State fans and, and things like that if you know there was a bunch of five-star defensive defensive you know prospects coming in with this class and you know they don't necessarily have that, but but the the you know like you said the rankings updates and things and the the push that guys like Jermaine Matthews and, and Calvin Simpson Hunt have made in, in some of those those rankings certainly will make people feel better about the class overall, I think. But Dan, let's talk about some, you know, kind of more tangible news for the Ohio State program over the past week, which was, of course, that, you know, legendary Ohio State linebacker, James Laurinaitis, Dan, is returning to the program as a grad assistant. Of course, last year he was on the the Notre Dame staff and, you know, there was a lot of questions about, you know, why isn't, you know, Ohio State having conversations to bring in uh, a guy like Laurinaitis and speculation. Did did Ryan Day even you know talk to him about that, et cetera, et cetera? But you know, just 
one season later, Laurinaitis is actually returning to Ohio State as a graduate assistant, you know, helping out with that that linebacker role in the in the role that Coy McFarland left vacant to join Kevin Wilson's staff. You know, he, he was Jim Knowles's kind of right-hand man of sorts in that role. And now a guy that, you know, every Ohio State fan is going to recognize that name and be pretty excited about this move, Dan. Yeah, we wouldn't normally be talking about a graduate assistant hire in the first 10 minutes of Real Pod Wednesdays, but it's a little bit different when it's a free time All-American, when it's a guy who realistically could be considered the greatest linebacker or certainly one of the greatest linebackers in Ohio State history with what he accomplished during his Buckeye career. So, you know, I think it's it's certainly it's a no brainer kind of move to, to, to be able to bring him back from Notre Dame. You know, it, all, it always felt weird that like, this guy's going to coach at Notre Dame. Like why, why isn't he coaching at Ohio state? If he wants this opportunity, why didn't Ohio state make a spot for him? So, you know, this feels right. Like it feels right that he should be back at Ohio state, you know, at least for the time being as, as he, you know, really gets into being a, a coach at the collegiate level, just his second year as a coach, but somebody who, you know, I, I certainly think can have an immediate impact on this program, you know, both on the field and on the recruiting trail, you know, on the field, this is a quietly important role because with Jim Knowles being both the defensive coordinator and the linebackers coach, you know, he has to spend so much of his time with the overall defense and, and game planning for defense that, you know, Coy McFarland spent a lot of that one-on-one -on -one time with the linebackers. And so, Laurinaitis is immediately going to step into a role where where he's going to be spending a lot of time, you know, with with the linebackers and, and and you know in the meeting room on the field when Jim Knowles is occupied with his other responsibilities as a defensive coordinator. And so you know I think he's going to have a, certainly an opportunity to make an immediate impact in on field coaching and. Obviously, you know, this is a guy who you have to think every player in that linebacker room, when he talks, they're going to listen because this is a guy who played in the NFL for nine years. This is a guy who, again, has a, a free time All-American at Ohio State. And, and we've seen how that's worked for Brian Hartline, where you can step into that room and, and show the players you're, you're not just telling them what they can be. You're showing them, hey, I've done this and I, and I can help you get there. And so, you know, that just automatically gives you a leg up coming into that room of you're coaching a bunch of guys who they want to be all Americans. They want to get to the NFL. You've actually done it. And so now you can show them how to do it. And so I think, you know, that's certainly going to help James Laurinaitis a ton in terms of immediately being able to make an impact on this program, even just as a graduate assistant. And then, you know, the, the word for, out of Notre Dame was that he was making an immediate impact in recruiting too. Now, he can't go out at, on the recruiting trail and actually go visit schools as a, as a graduate assistant, but he can be involved in terms of when guys are visiting campus, he can talk to those recruits. And so I, I think he's a guy that's certainly going to help Ohio State from a recruiting perspective as well. Again, even just to be able to tell a high school linebacker, hey, you want to come and get coached by James Laurinaitis, a three-time All-American who played in the NFL for nine seasons? 
And so, you know, certainly I think, uh, you know, this is an exciting move for Ohio State. You know, I think it's also important to keep things in perspective. Not every former player who joins Ohio State staff is going to be the next Brian Hartline. Okay, not not every former player who gets into coaching is going to automatically be a superstar just because they were a star player. And so, you know, we have to keep those things in perspective. You know, this is just a guy who's entering his second year of coaching. He's you know, not going to be a full-time on-field coach. And so, you know, we, you know, I, I think, you know, you, you know, I mean, people are already talking about, well, is he going to, you know, how long before he joins the, the full-time staff? I certainly think it's possible that he could join the full-time staff in a year or two or three or whatever, depending on how things play out. But he has to prove himself first. He has to prove himself first in this graduate assistant role before, you know, he's going to start climbing the ladder. Yeah, for sure, Dan. And, and I know there's also like, it seems to be that there's this sentiment after every uh, a ba- a bad loss at the end of an Ohio State football season or, you know, a loss to Michigan certainly as well, where, you know, you kind of see fans or, or former players kind of coming out on social media and saying like, oh, like the, the you know, it's not the same at the Woody anymore. Like we, we need to, the, the, the old players need to come in and talk to these guys and things like that. And I, I think certainly for people that that feel that way and feel that, you know, especially the Ohio State defense needs to be ingrained with some some you know level of of toughness or restoring the the, the silver bullets you know mantra things like that. Having a guy like James Laurinaitis in there is definitely going to make people think, hey, like, this is a guy that can can truly get the message across. A guy that knows you know Ohio State football through and through and, and can talk to those guys and deliver that message. And certainly, Dan, you know, you know, maybe it's it's not too late for another Cade Stover a position switch, because if you remember at the beginning of this past season, he was talking about, you know, idolizing James Laurinaitis and how, you know, he always wanted to be James Laurinaitis, you know, that, that kind of that storyline going into the Notre Dame game. So I'm sure he's excited to have Laurinaitis on staff. However, you know, he, he does have that position solidified at tight end now. And, uh, you know, not going back to linebacker, one would not think at this stage. Yeah, I think a lot of players are probably excited about this. You know, we we may not get to talk to many of them until spring. We were hoping we would get to talk to the early enrollees today, but that plan has actually changed. But we'll be talking to probably by the time you're listening to this, we may have already have talked to Ryan Day and Ohio State's uh, assistant coaches as part of their national signing day media availability. So we will have a lot more football updates. Next week, with this obviously being recorded before that, but we'll have lots to talk about next week from everything that we've learned today from talking to those coaches at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. But let's talk about some basketball. We don't usually talk about basketball this early in the show, but it, it, it's been a trying time for, for Ohio State basketball for, for both genders over the past week. but. We're, we're going to start with Ohio State men's basketball because, put it simply, it was an abysmal month of January for Ohio State men's basketball. The Buckeyes went just two and seven in their nine January games. And, and Griffin, did you think a month ago that we would be talking about a team that is clearly outside of the NCAA tournament field right now? No, definitely not. You know, that, that first game in January that that big blowout win at Northwestern it seemed like man this team really like you know a 2-0 start in Big Ten play 
you know, you look at the the Ken Palm numbers and things like that with Ohio State having the the best, you know, adjusted efficiency offense in the country and things like that. You're like, wow, this team's this is a dynamic team. You know, there's a lot of different guys that can contribute. And, you know, you, you looked at the some of the probabilities in terms of like which the the Big Ten, you know, who's going to be in the mix to, to win the Big Ten and things like that. And Ohio State was right up there in a lot of those kind of metrics. And wow, things have changed in a hurry because uh, you know, Ohio State then goes ends up going two and seven in January. And you know, if you look, if you if you kind of before and after that that New Year's Day Northwestern game, you know, Ohio State's dropped seven of their last eight. Now they 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 dropped five in a row there. They did bounce back with that win over Iowa, but then since then, you know, two more losses in a row. Now, you know, Ohio State will have a chance to to maybe get back on track against a Wisconsin team on Thursday that has had similar struggles as of late. But when you look at Ohio State, they're now in, what, 12th place in the Big Ten. And really, Dan, just everything going wrong with this team. Like, it's not, that's what I've kind of been writing about recently, is that it's not just one singular issue, right? It's not just, oh, Ohio State isn't doing this, and if this was fixed, then maybe they win a bunch of games. It's really a, a myriad of problems. And another thing with Ohio State, you know, you remember that that five-game losing streak it was like every game is coming down to the final possession. A lot of those games ended up being, you know, one possession margins of defeat for Ohio State. Can they make an, an extra one or two plays at the end of a game and and turn things around? But Dan, that that has not been the case in the last couple of games because that Illinois game, in, you know, these are two two of the toughest places to play in the Big Ten when you talk about going to Illinois and to Indiana. So, you know, that certainly is a factor as well. Ohio State, I believe four of their last five have been on the road. So, you know, a home stretch here is certainly going to be something that Ohio State could benefit from. But when you look at those two games, Dan, the Illinois game was a 17-point game with like three minutes to go or something like that. Ohio State ends up, you know, going on a a pretty meaningless end-of-game run to to make it a single-digit game, that 69-60 to loss, to to make it look more competitive than it really was. But, I mean, the fact that it was a 17-point game, you know, the game was over at that point in the last few minutes. And that was already Ohio State's most lopsided Big Ten loss of the season at that point. Then you look at the Indiana game, and things really got got out of hand in that one, Dan, before the end of the first half, because Ohio State ends up surrendering like a 17-1 to run in the last five minutes of the first half at Assembly Hall. And it kind of felt like, man, this might be, you know, playing in Bloomington. This might already be over at halftime. And it was because even though Ohio State played better in that second half, they still end up losing by 16, which was their widest margin of defeat of the season. Just the second double digit margin of defeat they had suffered all season, I believe. And and the, you know, the widest one of the year as well. So it's like now these losses are not just one score losses or or something where you can point at one late game execution error as a way to kind of wipe away the, you know, the, the loss because now uh, the losses are getting they're, they're They're just as frequent and they're becoming more lopsided here with 10 games to go now in the regular season. Yeah. I think that's, what's so concerning about the team right now is, you know, s- slumps happen. You know, you, you're going to have, you know, stretches where you play poorly for a few games. And we've seen that pretty consistently of Ohio state over years, but you know, Jan- you know, particularly January has been a, a common time where we've seen some slumps for Chris Holtman's team. It happened in 2019. It happened in 2020. But I, I think, you know, what, what makes this feel different is it seems like things are getting worse. Like 
they, they, like you said, they, they were, you know, they, they were losing games that were really coming down to a possession or two. You know, if one more, one or two more plays went their way, they could have won those games. The last couple games, it's felt like, you know, the other team is just clearly better. And then the dam broke and they could never recover. And so, you know, you know, things have certainly been trending the wrong way for this Ohio state basketball team. And I know you wrote on, on Tuesday about many of the problems plaguing this team. And, and there's a lot of them, you know, rebounding has been a problem. I think you, you wrote the stat that every time this team has lost the rebounding battle, they've lost the game. And so clearly that's a, a big issue to look at ball movement. I mean, you, you look pretty consistently, this team is not getting a lot of assists. You know, it, 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 things have not looked particularly pretty offensively in terms of moving the ball around and creating open shots just shooting in general, you know, this was, you know, this was a team that according to KenPom.com, at one point, this team was ranked as the number one, most efficient offense in the country. They certainly have not been that over the past month, three point attempts. You know, that was something that our own Josh Paloa pointed out earlier in the month that Ohio state had one of the best three point shooting percentages in the country yet was attempting fewer free pointers per game than most teams in the country. And then we, we heard it from Jake Diebler this past week, that he, he brought up that exact point that Josh had pointed out that they need to shoot more frees because they're good at shooting them, but they're not actually attempting enough of them. And so, you know, that's something we'll see, you know, can they, can they manufacture more open frees and, and hit more of those? Can, can that make a difference for them offensively? Defensively, there, there's been issues with this team. Certainly. And then, you know, really just, you know, a lack of reliable production outside of Bryce Sensabaugh. I mean, Bryce Sensabaugh, we, we've we've talked about him all year. I mean, he's been excellent. I mean, he's been everything you could have expected him to be as a freshman and more. Clearly, this team's best scorer. But there's not another guy right now outside of Bryce that you can count on. You There's really nobody else that I go into a game thinking – confidently that guy's going to score double digits tonight. You, you expect Bryce to do it, but there's nobody else who's doing so with any kind of consistency. And so, you know, they, they've become, you know, a, a team where you know, they've got this one really promising young star, but then just kind of a bunch of role players around him. And I think, you know, I had talked like earlier in the year about how I felt like, you know, if, if all the pieces came together here, that this could be the kind of team that I thought could maybe be better at the end of a season than what we've seen from, from past Chris Holtman teams, just because of its versatility, because of the different puzzle pieces they have, where they could match up with teams in a variety of different ways. But right now, it just it doesn't feel like the puzzle pieces are fitting together the way they supposed to. It, it kind of feels like it's just a bunch of guys out there, and they've they've got to find a way to 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 fit those puzzle pieces back together if they're gonna salvage this season and get themselves back into the NCAA tournament picture. Yeah, Dan, of the, of the seven players that have started at least two games in January for Ohio State. Only two players actually scored, like averaged more points in January than they averaged, you know, in the months previous. So that would be Bryce Sensabaugh, who went from 15.8 points a game to 20.1 points a game in January. And then Sean McNeil with like a, a marginal 
you know, uptick in points per game. But other than that, when you start to look at some of the the declines, like everybody declined, like guys that aren't even playing that many minutes, you know, or might be playing even more minutes in January, but still having a, a decline. And I really think it, it hasn't been talked about a whole lot, Dan. I think, I mean, I don't know why it is. Maybe, maybe it's because, you know, he's, it's a true freshman. Um, so you, the expectations can't be that huge on him. But I really think that Bruce Thornton, you know, he he really looked like he was coming on during a stretch there leading into January. And his production, Dan, has really fallen off. I mean, he so before January, he was averaging 10.8 points per game, shooting 50% from the field, close to that from three as well, and, and over three assists per game. In January, Dan, he averaged 5.4 points per game, shooting 27.4% from the field, slightly under that from three, and I think 2.1 assists. And when you talk about a lot of Ohio State's issues, scoring the ball, ball movement. I mean, the, the ball movement one maybe the, the biggest of all for, for Thornton because that is your floor general, and he plays the second most minutes per game on the team. No one on the, no one on the team, Dan, is even averaging three assists this year, which I was I was going to look back and be like, that, that seems like a low number. Is that like the lowest number in X amount of years or whatever? Nobody averaged more than 2.9 assists last year either for Ohio State. So I guess it's it's not that crazy of a stat. But still, when you look at the fact that, you know, Ohio State was averaging 14.4, I believe, assists per game before January, only 9.7 or something like that. Uh, in January, a lot of single digit assist games in the stretch for Ohio State. And I think you have to point at a guy like Bruce Thornton because, you know, this isn't a guy that, you know, Chris Holman said that this is a guy that, that you know, we're, we're putting in the same room with with the captains. And when we have these meetings with the captains and the leaders, we're putting Bruce Thornton, you know, in that same category. And he's a guy that's earned the respect of the team and whatnot. But at a certain point, I think he he does der, deserves some criticism as well, because certainly the likes of Justice Suing has gotten a lot of criticism. I've seen a lot of Zed Key criticism as of late, you know, and, and Zed Key, another guy that yeah, last season, Dan, he started the year really strong. And then he kind of, he kind of, you know, his production tapered off last season. And, and this year, he started the year even stronger. It looked like, okay, this is going to be the year he really, you know, has that consistent, you know, front to end year. His his conditioning has been, you know, a questioned in the past. And he's talked about like kind of losing his wind as the season goes along, you know, and the grueling Big Ten and going up against those, you know, huge centers in the Big Ten physical players. And he's dealt with multiple injury issues in, in, you know, this past month, which has not helped his month at all. But before January, Dan, 13.6 points on 64% shooting in January, less than 10 points a game on 46.6% shooting. And, you know, you can just, I could list them all off, honestly, and talk about the statistical declines from player to player. And it's like, you know, you expect guys to, to not put up quite as good numbers, you know, playing big 10 teams game in and game out as they would before. But you know, even when you compare certain stats to, you know, you throw out the the buy games in the first 12 games and you look at the rebounding numbers or something, Ohio State was still getting the better of the rebounding, you know, margin against, you know, some of the better teams that are playing on the non-conference schedule and their first couple of Big Ten games. And that has not been the case in the last nine games. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about, you know, Bruce Fortin has not, you know, produced the same way of late that he was early in the season. But, you know, I think, you know, we, you talk about, you know, Zed Key and Justice Suing being two of the guys who, you know, are, you know, probably in the crosshairs the most. Well, you know, I think a lot of that goes back to, you know, we talked before the season, like who were supposed to be the two best players on this team? It was Zed Key and Justice Suing. So those those are the two guys 
in particular that, you know, those are the guys they're really supposed to be able to rely on night in and night out. It's great that Bryce Sensabaugh has become that guy, at least on the offensive end. But I think, you know, those are the two guys in particular that like we really thought those were going to be the guys that, you know, you could really rely on. Those were going to be the guys who were really going to be the leaders of the team. And, you know, like you said with Zed, I mean, he, he's been injured. I think that's certainly been, been a factor for him. But I just think it's reality that like, I mean, this is a team we talk about it. Most of the guys on this team were not at Ohio State last year. Zed injustice of the guys who are playing regularly because we're not we're not seeing Eugene Brown play a lot. They're the only two guys playing regularly who were on the team before this year. And so I think it's fair for the expectations for those guys to be a little bit higher because they were supposed to be the leaders. They they're, they're supposed to be the guys who, you know, things are running through those guys. And I I just don't think that's really happening right now the way you, you'd like to see it happen. So I do think there is an onus on those two guys in particular that if Ohio State is going to turn this thing around, if Ohio State is going to make it back into the NCAA tournament, I, I do think those are still probably the top two guys that I look at and say those guys need to step up their game to another level. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, that's a problem with like Zed Key. You're trying to kind of assess what's going on with him. Is it is it all the injuries and stuff, or is it like we've seen in the past where he kind of loses his his wind? Like that's a, that's a phrase that he has said. So that's why I'm I'm using that that phrase. But he, he says like you know I, I got to keep my wind throughout the season. And, and is this a case where if you're missing practice because you've got some of these injury issues that you know suddenly you're not able to be as well conditioned in the games. And Chris Holman said that 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 shoulder brace or shoulder compression sleeve, whatever you want to call it, that he's been wearing pretty much, you know, all month since that Purdue game, he said that's like really restrictive. And it kind of sometimes causes him to have trouble breathing even because it's, I guess, because it's so tight on his chest, you know, during a, a, a game where you're, you know, huffing and puffing and things like that. Um, but, you know, just as suing, I was looking at his stats and, and I assumed his kind of decline between those two periods, which I wrote about before and after January, I assumed his numbers would be like significantly worse in January, but the, the drop-off wasn't quite as dramatic as I thought. I'm only shooting like 3% worse from the field and, and averaging like two and a half points less. But I mean, you know, Ohio State needs every point and every you know percentage of a field goal percentage you can get. And, and it's one of those things like, you know, like Charles Barkley and like Shaq are always say like, you know, when, when you get into the the playoffs in the NBA, like the best players are are scoring, you know, more points in the playoffs. And, you know, if you equate that to kind of the big 10 season and, and you look at all these players for Ohio State that have had these drop offs in, in, in major statistical categories, it's like at a certain point, like get, you're playing tougher competition, but at a certain point, someone's got to step up and, and play even better. And, you know, Suing was benched for those two games before the Indiana game gets reinserted into the the starting lineup against the Hoosiers and you're kind of thinking okay maybe he's done something to to kind of impress the coaching staff or get back in their good graces or you know has stepped up behind the scenes what have you only ends up with what five points in that game so not really the the resounding return to form that that he really could have used in that game and even like you know Isaac likely as well as a guy that that when Ohio State beat Iowa and it had a much better performance on offense, you know, way more closely resembled the team that we saw before January. It was likely stepping up with it with an 18 point performance 
And you're like, wow. I mean, if he can, if if he or or really anybody else, but in that game, it was him. If he can do that, you know, this team could be a lot more dynamic. And since then, Dan, we have just seen absolutely no replication of that, that potential that he showed in that game as a supplementary scorer. And he's averaging, he averages 3.4 points per game in January. And, you know, Ohio State is looking for answers right now. Do you think this is more of a talent problem or a coaching problem? It's really, it's hard for me to assess, like, I don't know. It's hard for me to assess the, to kind of pull those things apart, you know, when, when you're kind of so close to it, it's like, I almost need a different lens to be able to say, I mean, obviously we've seen some of the, the coaching decisions that have been criticized. And like, even going back to the Indiana game, it was during that huge run for Indiana that basically won them the game in the first half. Should, should Chris Holtman have called another timeout in that mix to, to kind of stop that momentum? He even said that himself after the game, like maybe I should have doubled up on timeouts there. Some of the, the late game, you know, side out of bounds or set pieces and, and the defensive approach to, you know, guarding the an opponent's final, you know, game winning set piece, you know, side out play or whatever, dealing with the, the full court press. There's certainly some, some tangible coaching kind of decision things where you're like, okay, that could have definitely been done differently, et cetera, et cetera. I think in terms of the talent thing, I'm certainly looking at like the transfers as, you know, certainly not producing nearly as much as we expected them to this season. And, you know, that, that to me feels like maybe more of a talent thing, but at the same time, then you're like, I mean, Tanner Holden's the guy that, that, scored 20 points per game on an NCAA tournament team, granted, you know, not as high a caliber competition that he was playing against and whatnot. But like now he doesn't seem like a guy that that could score, you know, 10 points a game, you know, for this Ohio State team because he, he's not even averaging what half of that. So he barely even um, played against Indiana. I don't think he played until basically the game was over. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a guy that's, you know, fallen out of the rotation as of late. I think he only played like 11 minutes combined in the last two games. So I think from a talent standpoint, Ohio State probably is wishing that it that it was getting a little bit more out of those three transfers. You know, when you look at the freshmen, it's kind of split, right? Because Bryce Sensabaugh has, has over overperformed expectations so much. But are you getting a whole right in the month of January? How much have you gotten in terms of really meaningful statistical contributions from those other freshmen? Not a whole lot. And I know Holman's been high on like Roddy Gale and, and Felix Akpara's emergence as of late. But in terms of like, look at the sh- the stat sheet and look what they've done, you know, this past month, you're not, you're still not really getting a whole lot. And we just talked about kind of the decline of Bruce Thornton. So we know what the question on many fans minds is right now. And that's, is Chris Holtman coaching for his job the rest of the season? Because certainly, you know, things have been trending in the wrong direction, certainly not making the NCAA tournament, even though, you know, I, I, you know, I, I do think it's important to keep in perspective that going into the year, I think we both thought this was going to be a bubble team. I think most people thought this was going to be a bubble team. And so I think, you know, expectations may have gotten a bit overinflated going into January. But nevertheless, to see the way that things have fallen apart here over the past month certainly have increased calls from a fan base for a coaching change. And so, you know, Griffin, I'll ask you just your perspective on 
you know, do you think how Ohio State performs over these last 10 Big Ten games, how Ohio State finishes this season could make or break whether Chris Holtman returns as Ohio State's coach next year? I think that Chris Holtman is back next year. And I know I don't think, you know, I don't know how receptive fans are right now to like a indefensive Chris Holtman type of spiel. But I mean, it has to be said that, you know, the the, the two recruiting class, you look at this recruiting class that came in and, the, and the, it being a top 10 class and next year's, you know, incoming freshman class being another top 10 class and Chris Holtman, his whole premise for the season was, you know, if we can keep that, this class, this year's class together to a certain extent, and then, you know, meld it with next year's class, I think that could give us a real chance to make some more noise. You know, that doesn't just forgive any, any result that could happen this season, of course, but, you know, like you said, we were talking about the possibility that this team could miss the NCAA tournament, you know, over the off season. So it's not like this has been completely out of left field. Now, when you kind of look at, in terms of keeping the class together next year, now you're going to lose, you know, in all likelihood, the centerpiece of the class with Bryce Sensabaugh likely turning pro after the season. So then at that point, are you, are you keeping the class together? But, you know, I know Chris Holman, you know, on the radio on Monday and in his, his interview session, his press conference session at the shot was talking about, you know, he thinks Roddy Gale could have a, an EJ Liddell like you know, year to year improvement. And so, you know, I, I, there's certainly things to be hopeful for next season and maybe the expectations are higher next season. So I think he's coming back. I, I certainly do think, however, that criticism and the noise is going to get a lot louder if, you know, Ohio State finishes the regular season with a losing record. I mean, right now they're one game above 500. And that's why I, I, want, I asked Chris Holman on Monday, kind of like what is the bar that would constitute a success for you through this final 10 game regular season run? And, and he was talking about, you know, there's 11 guaranteed games, of course, at the big 10 tournament, you know, in that mix as well. And I just wanted to know, like, cause you know, at, at that point, if, if Holtman is kind of giving a metric by which he should be measured in this last, you know, stretch run here, then people can kind of hold, hold him to, you know, a more of a firm expectation because, you know, we were talking about it in Slack in recent days, you know, the expectations and goals for, for the basketball program is, is much more of a moving target than it is for, say, the football program, which kind of comes out and states these, you know, direct goals before the year and everything like that. So, yeah, I mean, if Ohio State ends up finishing, you know, with a, a worse record than that, you know, fads last year, what was it, 2016-17, they, they ended up going 17-15, and 15, I believe that, you know, the, the noise is, is certainly going to get louder because, you know, every time I, I read it, even the piece I wrote, on Tuesday about the the different problems with the team in January on Twitter, everyone's just like in my replies saying like, you don't need to explain the, everything that's wrong with the team. It's a simple explanation. The coach, that's what a lot of people are saying right now. And, you know, it's hard to assess whether it's a, a vocal minority. It does, certainly doesn't feel like a, a minority right now, but it's also Twitter and, and forum, you know, posters and things like that. But, but I certainly think that you have to give some type of credit for the work that the likes of Chris Holman and Jake Diebler have done on the recruiting trail, the fact that they're now producing guys that are, that are first round NBA draft caliber, you know, for the last two years in a row and, and seeing some of the success that they're having in that regard. And maybe next year is the year that you really set a, a higher bar. Because like you said, 
you know, this, this, we were wondering if this team is going to get in the NCAA tournament in the off season. Yeah, I, I agree with you that, you know, I, I think it's still far more likely than not that Chris Holtman will be back for another year. You know, you know, we said that before the year, I know we, we talked about that at the end of last year and we, and we said that we, we still believed that Chris Holtman would be at Ohio state for at least two more years. And the recruiting, like you talked about, that's, that's the biggest reason for that. It's the fact that, you know, he has assembled these two strong classes two years in a row. And, you know, we went into this year thinking next year probably is going to be better than this year. Thinking particularly if you bring back this full group of four freshmen. Now I'm a lot less confident that they're going to bring back all four of these freshmen now because Bryce Sensabaugh, most people think he's going to be a first round NBA draft pick. So I, he's going to have a decision to make at the end of a year. I know Chris Holtman would love to encourage and convince him to stay at Ohio state for a second year. But, you know, if he ultimately ends up making that move, which is something that he is going to have a very real decision to make on, then, you know, that's one piece of that puzzle you thought you'd have next year, but you may not have anymore. But, you know, I, I, I do think you, you can certainly make a strong case for next year should be better than this year. You have this highly ranked recruiting class. You've got to give Chris Holtman another year to see what he can do with that class. I, I think the frustration that many Ohio State fans feel is that we we've had this conversation over and over again with Chris Holtman. I mean, this is this is not the first time we've been sitting here going, "Well, next year's the year." Well, you know, net, you know, you look at the piece he's bringing in. Next year should be the year. So I think Ohio State fans are are running out of patience with the next year conversation. I, I I do think it's fair in this case. I, I I and I think that is most likely the way that Gene Smith is going to view this and that he does deserve one more year. This was always going to be a transition year because you had so many new pieces. If if Holtman can retain the majority of that roster for next year with the guys that Ohio State is bringing in in the 2023 class. Yeah, I, I think the pieces will certainly be there for Ohio State to be better next year. And then I think next year, you know, if you assume all that to be the case, then next year there's no more excuses, right? Next year, it, the expectation has got to be not just making the tournament, but you know, making the Sweet 16, getting to where you haven't gotten before. I, I do think that, you know, if if we're gonna go with okay. Let's give him next year. The next year, you've really got to start putting those expectations on him of, you know, this is where you got to get to. If if we're going to be able to sit here and say, what will it be next year? Six years or seven years? Six years, I think. Seventh will be next year will be the seventh. Yeah, next year will be the seventh year. So I think if you can go out seven years, <laughs> I think it's certainly fair if you keep him this year, next year to say, all right, you know, these are the expectations. These are where we got to get. If we're going to be able to say we have measurable progress in Ohio State basketball under Chris Holtman, like we've got to get to the Sweet 16 or we've got to contend for a Big Ten title. You know, things that have not happened yet for Chris Holtman at Ohio State. And so I, I think it's totally fair for Ohio State fans to be running out of patience with Chris Holtman right now. I, I think it's totally fair for if this team misses the tournament, which Again, 
There's still a month to go here. The season is far from over, but things are trending the wrong way to where, you know, if, if, if this team misses the tournament, that's a huge disappointment. And I think, I, I think, you know, I, I, I think I came into this year feeling like, okay, if, if this team makes the tournament, like that's solid because of all the new parts coming in. So if he can get this team back into the tournament, his job is definitely going to be safe. If this team misses the tournament, I, I don't think Chris Holtman get fired. I mean, if this team goes 0-10 in the last 10 games, he might get fired. But, you know, if this team goes 3-7 and in the last 10 games, like it did in the first 10 games of Big Ten play, and misses the tournament, I don't think that gets Chris Holtman fired, but I do think it warms up the seat. Like, I, I think... You know, if you miss the tournament, I, I do think it warms up the seat in terms of things got to be better next year. Yeah, I was going to say, like, is there a a level of of disaster that that could you know kind of change that 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 thought process? Like, if Ohio State goes zero and ten in the last ten games of the regular season, you know, at that point, does that change things? I guess that remains to be seen. But you know, I certainly think that. Ohio State getting some some actual home games here in the stretch after you know really playing in, in some of the toughest environments you know in, in in the entire Big Ten and really the entire country you know Ohio State will probably have some performances that look similar maybe to that Iowa performance where it was like okay this is the team that that hasn't been showing up you know especially on the road lately and overall in general and and like I said Ohio State playing Wisconsin on Thursday that's a winnable game Wisconsin's a team that's been ranked. You know, in the top twenty this this season, but they they've, they've lost a bunch of games. You know, kind of really a similar skid to Ohio State right now, and that team's going to be coming in to Columbus. Then, but then you know they they travel to Michigan. That's not going to be an easy one either. But you know, certainly I think Ohio State you know staying finishing the regular season above five hundred just for optics and things like that would certainly look good. Dan, I don't even remember. I don't even know off the top of my head when the last time an Ohio State team finished. A, se- a full season under 500 would be because I know that last Thad Mata year was the the worst winning percentage I believe of his his career, and they were still 17 and 15. Yeah, now finishing under 500 would certainly be a bad look, and so I think yeah, look looking at the results, it was 2003, 2004 was the last time they finished under 500, and so certainly at the very least. You'd you'd like to finish this thing above 500, but not going to be an easy road. You mentioned the games coming up this weekend at Wisconsin on Thursday, at Michigan on Sunday. Those are two winnable games. So, or I should say, at, at home versus Wisconsin on Thursday and at Michigan on Sunday. But those are two winnable games. So, you know, you got to win at least one if you're gonna if you're gonna get this thing back on track. You've got to win at least one of those games. You'd like to see them win both. I'm gonna say they go one and one this week. I don't know which one they'll win and which one they'll lose, but. I'm I'm gonna say they go one and one this week. It's hard it's hard to predict a two and a week for this team right now, but I, I'm gonna say they win one of them. What about you? Yeah, I think I th- yeah I think though I think they could beat Wisconsin for sure, or at least win one of those two games. I'm of the similar line of thinking. I think you know if they can win on Thursday, it'll do a lot for them. But Dan, I also just want to throw out there before we we move on to some some breaking news here that that just came in. Of course, Dan, on the podcast, it's either the news happens while we're podcasting or immediately after. But just one last thing on you know the men's basketball team. You know, the kind of the, the biggest defense of Chris Holtman in recent years has been the fact that, oh, he always makes it to the NCAA tournament. He's won at least 20 games also in, in every season that he's been Ohio State's head coach. And both of those 
those things are now in jeopardy this season where you're looking at potentially the first NCAA tournament miss and the first, you know, sub 20 win season. When you look at the rate they've been going at recently, uh, 10 games left in the, in the regular season, 11 games left in, you know, potentially overall, and they would need to win nine of those games to get to 20 wins right now. If there's not, you know, an, another tournament after that. So both of those things definitely hang in jeopardy there for, for Chris Holman and Ohio state. Yeah, and a, a rough week all the way around for Ohio State basketball, too. We've talked a lot about the Ohio State women's basketball team. They also had a really rough week this past week, losing its first three games of a season all in a row. Lost you know, to a pair of top 10 teams in Iowa and Indiana, and then also lost to an unranked Purdue team on Sunday. So they're reeling a little bit here as well. The, the good news is that JC Sheldon is expected to be back soon. Kevin McGuff said on Tuesday that there's a chance she could play this week, but we don't know for sure yet. So, you know, it's become clear that those Buckeyes still really need JC Sheldon over the past week. They're still ranked 10th in the country. They're still uh, very much in the conversation for a high seed in the NCAA tournament. But, you know, certainly as promising as things were looking for that team for the first 19 games, maybe come back down to earth a little bit here over the last three games. You know, maybe the 19-0 record made them look a little bit better than they actually are playing, you know, the two best teams they had played so far this season, Iowa and Indiana, kind of exposed some of their flaws. But, you know, they can bring J.C. Sheldon back, who is supposed to be their best player coming into the year. That's certainly going to give them a big boost. So an important week ahead for them as well. They play Wisconsin on Wednesday night, and then they play at number eight, Maryland, on Sunday. And so certainly they're going to be looking to get back in the win column on Wednesday and then win Sunday. That would be really big for them if they can pull that off, because after losing those two top 10 games last week, they could certainly use a, a win over a highly ranked opponent to reestablish themselves as one of the top teams in the country. Dan, we said we'd have a lot more football to talk about next week, but as it turns out, we've got a little bit more football to talk about right now because Ole Miss transfer cornerback Davison Igbenosin, as we mentioned earlier in the show, you know, is Ohio State going to land him out of the transfer portal? As it turns out, as we were recording here, he does in fact commit to Ohio State, and that's another big time addition, Dan, out of the transfer portal to the Buckeye secondary in particular with previously having a, a Syracuse transfer safety, Jihad Carter, coming in at, at that safety position. Yeah, we did say that, you know, thought there could be some news before the podcast came out. I didn't know it would be while we were still recording it here on Tuesday afternoon, but he did just Tuesday afternoon commit to Ohio State, which is certainly a big addition for the Buckeyes. Uh, he was ranked by 24-7 Sports among all players who entered uh, the transfer portal during the winter, winter window as the number 10 overall player, the number four cornerback. And, you know, you look at overall, Ohio State has now landed two of the top five defensive backs out of a transfer portal in this winter window with Davis and Igbenosin, the corner from Ole Miss and Jihad Carter, the safety from Syracuse. So two big additions there for the secondary. Certainly, I think, welcome news for Ohio State fans, as we saw this past year, but the secondary had some issues. So they certainly you know, needed some reinforcements of talent there. And, you know, bringing those two guys in, you know, bo both those guys, they're still going to have to compete for starting jobs. And there's going to be, you know, 
other guys that are going to be hungry to get those jobs. I mean, we just talked last week about, you know, corner and how I said, you know, at that point I would have predicted Jair Brown to be the second starting corner this year. Now there's going to be some extra competition there with Davis and Igbenosin coming in. But I think adding him, you know, with Jair Brown, with Jordan Hancock, with those two highly touted freshman corners that I talked about earlier with Jermaine Matthews and Calvin Simpson Hunt, I think you feel better about where that room is at now. I think, you know, having only six scholarship cornerbacks, you felt like it was a little light there. Now to to add Igbenosin, bring that back up to seven scholarship cornerbacks. Uh, I think first of all, you feel better about the depth. And secondly, you're bringing in another guy, a guy who started 10 games in the SEC last year, was an honorable mention freshman All-American, a guy who certainly looks to have a bright future ahead of him in college football and adding him to what you already have in that room, I think makes you feel a lot better about that competition for a starting job that's about to take place this spring and summer. Yeah, for sure. And we've heard Ryan Day talk about a lot, you know, not not wanting to to bring in guys and kind of guarantee him a starting job, you know, because what does that do to the locker room and the guys that have been, you know, in the system longer and, and fighting for, for more playing time. But Dan, it certainly seems like with, with Carter and Igbenosin that those are two guys that could potentially start right away. Yeah. I think it's certainly possible if not likely, I think, you know, especially in, in Carter's, you know, I think that nickel safety spot where, you know, they're replacing Tanner McAllister. I, I think Jihad Carter is going to step right in and, and be the front runner there. You know, I, I you know, I think, you know, for Igbeno, I think a lot of people are going to assume that Igbenosin is just going to come in and start right away. I don't know that I would assume that. I, I think it is going to still be more of a competition there. But, you know, the good news of bringing in a guy like Igbenosin is, you know, he's only a sophomore. So this is a guy who still has three years of eligibility. So this is a guy you're not just bringing in now for this year. You're bringing him in for the next two to three years. And so, you know, I think that's, you know, something you really like about this addition is it's not just, you know, sometimes these transfer additions like a Tanner McAllister, it's about a one-year fix. This isn't just a one-year fix. This is somebody who can come in and help you for multiple seasons. And so, you know, we we will see, you know, how how it develops there in terms of, you know, his career over the next few years. But certainly, you know, th- this was a move that, you know, Ohio State wanted to make, you know, they were, you know, also in on Central Cypress, another one of the top corners in the transfer portal. So it clearly they felt like they had a need to bring in a transfer corner and that's what they did. And, you know, you, you know, I, I know that, you know, going into this off season, you know, one, one criticism that a lot of Ohio State fans had is they felt like Ohio State was being too conservative in the transfer portal. And I don't think that's been the case this offseason now with, with adding Igbenosin along with Jihad Carter, as well as Victor Cutler, Tristan Gebbia, and John Furlman. Ohio State has now added five scholarship players through the transfer portal. As we talked about last week, I I still think there's a good chance that number is going to grow too. I still think that in that May window that Ohio State is going to be probably looking for a, a tackle if there's the right guy out there, unless, you know, things really go well this spring. If I mean, if, if things go well enough this spring that Ohio State doesn't need a tackle in May, then that's great. But I, I do think there's a good chance that Ohio State will be looking to add a tackle and, and potentially, you know, make it six, at least six scholarship transfers this offseason, which, which is a change. 
from what we've seen in the past. So I do think that we've seen Ohio State adapt here a little bit. And again, by the time you're you're listening to this podcast, we may have already heard Ryan Day address this point. But you know, in, in terms of you know, I think it's pretty clear Ohio State is getting more aggressive in the transfer portal, and, and they realize that in today's day and age, you know, if 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 you have positions where you need upgrade, you, you can't be afraid to to bring in competition through the portal because everybody else is doing it. Yeah, Dan, is it, you make an interesting point because. Like, I think people just kind of assume when a program like Ohio State brings in a transfer guy, you know, not in the case of like a Tristan Gebby or whatever, but, you know, a, a guy like Igbenosin or something like, like, I just assumed like, oh, this guy's going to probably start right away. But, you know, you make a good point in the age of the transfer portal, you know, guys moving, coming, coming over younger now and, and guys can, can come in and, and just, uh, you know, add to the bolster the depth at a position and, and develop more as a young guy as well. So that's also kind of a, because it mostly has been you know, guys that have came in and started right away for Ohio State, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the case if you're bringing in, you know, a younger guy like this. On Tuesday on 11 Warriors, we published our ranking of Ohio State's top 10 quarterbacks of the 21st century. That was you You and I both submitted ballots of the rest of our staff also submitted ballots as well. And we came up with the following rankings at the number 10 spot, Todd Beckman, number nine, Craig Krenzel, number eight, Cardale Jones, number seven, Terrell Pryor, number six, Braxton Miller, number five, JT Barrett, number four, Dwayne Haskins, number three, CJ Stroud, number two, Troy Smith, and number one, Justin Fields. Griffin, anything about those rankings surprise you? Let me let me just look at my my own personal list here. No, not like not really. I had Troy Smith at number one, Dan, I will say. Just because, you know, he did win the Heisman Trophy. You know, it's not like Justin Fields won a national championship. And so, you know, what, what are you, you know, delineating from there? Um, I believe I ha- I put Haskins ahead of Stroud, but that would be by a very slim margin. So I had Haskins at, at three, Stroud at four, Braxton Miller at five, JT Barrett at six, Cardale seven, then Pryor Krenzel and Beckman, where did Pryor end up going here above Cardell Jones, which is yep. kind of interesting. I think in that case, I'm going Cardell above Pryor because he was the quarterback in that legendary iconic run to the national championship. That's got to win him some bonus points in my book, Dan. Where did you differ maybe from the staff ranking? Yeah, you know, a lot of it did line up with my own rankings. I did have Justin Fields number one, as a majority of our voters did, you know, simply because I just, I think Justin Fields, you know, was the best all around quarterback. I mean, Troy, Troy Smith is fantastic. I think, you know, as I wrote in the piece, I think nobody has been more responsible for raising the bar of quarterback play and setting a new standard of quarterback play than Troy Smith. Because I think if you just look at what quarterback play at Ohio State has been ever since him, it's it's really been a new level. And so, uh, you know, Troy Smith, you can make a strong case for him being number one as, of course, being Ohio State's only Heisman winning quarterback. But I did go with Justin Fields at number one, just just on the basis of, you know, I really think he's the complete package. He's had everything you wanted in an Ohio State quarterback. And so he got the number one vote for me. I did have CJ Stroud number three. And it's interesting because my feeling is if we had done this before the Peach Bowl, I don't think CJ Stroud would have finished third. I think he probably would have finished lower in the balloting because I think there were some more negative viewpoints of, of CJ Stroud 
after the Michigan game if he had never really had that signature performance. And I think even though he lost to Georgia in that game, I think what he did with his legs, how well he played in that game, even with so many injuries around him on the offense, I think that really helped cement him as one of those best quarterbacks in Ohio State history. And I think, you know, it'd be interesting to see, like, you know, you can't go back in time, but if we could go back in time and do this like after the Michigan game, it'd be interesting to see, you know, where maybe his ranking would compare to what it ended up being, you know, after his career is over. But I do agree with CJ Stroud being third, Dwayne Haskins being fourth. Personally, I had Braxton Miller at five. Like I, I think he's the guy who, to me, I think probably gets the most underrated among the recent Ohio state quarterbacks when we have these conversations, because I mean, he, he was just such a dynamic player. I mean, he, I mean, Ohio State won 24 games in a row when he was their starting quarterback. And so I, I think sometimes people forget how good Braxton Miller actually was. And I, I, I put him fifth on my ballot, so I'm not really disputing the ranking. I, I, I honestly considered putting him higher just because I, I do think that he was such a dynamic athlete. And I think people forget how good he was. And so I personally had him fifth and JT Barrett sixth. But. Hard to argue with JT being in the top five. I mean, he holds most of Ohio State's career quarterback records. He's the only quarterback to ever go 4-0 as a starter against Michigan. And so it's hard to argue with JT being in that top five. I, I know one thing that some of our fans did disagree with us on was Craig Krenzel being ninth because we we did our reader balloting and, and he actually came in seventh with Terrell Pryor down in ninth on the reader balloting and like, like you mentioned with Cardale, it's the fact that Craig Grenzel won a national championship. He, he was the starter all year for an undefeated national championship team. And I think that certainly carries a lot of weight with Ohio state fans, maybe not as talented as a quarterback as any of those eight guys who were ahead of him on our list. But certainly I, I there were fans who I think felt we should have given Craig Krenzel more respect based on the fact that, this was a guy who led a 14 and no team to a national championship. Yeah. But you know, the, 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 the offense wasn't relying on the quarterback as much at that time. I feel like, and you know, I had him in, in ninth myself, Beckman at 10, of course. I did too. Uh, no surprising omission, Joe Bowserman, which I know a lot of people were expecting to see maybe in the one, two range there at the, at the upper echelon on the, on the Mount Rushmore of Ohio state quarterbacks. Well, lots to cover this week. We'll have plenty more to talk about next week based on, everything that we learned from talking to Ohio State's football coaches this week. And we'll see if we have more positive stuff to talk about for Ohio State basketball next week or if the slide continues. So we'll be back to talk about all of it, and we hope you'll join us.